Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. Oh my goodness. I hit the button and we're recording to the cloud. And I know I tell you that every time, but it's because I'm excited and I'm anxious and I'm I just can't wait to dive into this one. My guest today, he is a pro and he's back from the mountains of Everest and the, the Himalaya and Nepal. And I can't wait. Maybe we'll just talk about that the whole time. I don't know. Maybe some marketing. Who is this guy? So he is a serial entrepreneur, a growth architect, a professional speaker and author, a prolific podcaster. I, I think he probably podcasts double the amount of what I do. Host of the Revenue Growth Podcast, host of Selling from the Heart Podcast, the Revenue Growth Architect at Revenue Growth Engine, Daryl Amy. Welcome to the show, sir. Oh, Casey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me in today. I, my brain, I am unlocking it and opening up the lid so you can just pour all that goodness right on in um, and bump my IQ a couple points. I could use it. So... What I want to do is start this show off right by me not saying anything else and passing you this thing, but it's heavy. <clears throat> okay. Uh, okay. Here you go. Grab that. You, you want to grab that? You got it? I got right. it. I got, got it. it. Okay. All right. Take for me Thor's hammer and smash some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. I love it. I've been waiting all day to do this. Yes. I'm so glad to be here, Casey. This is a lot of fun. And I want to speak in particular to my B2B marketing friends. And I want to say this, you don't need to generate leads. You don't need to generate leads. What are you talking about, Daryl? What do you mean I don't need to generate leads? If you're in B2B marketing and you know who your ideal client is, Therefore, you know who your ideal prospect is. You should already know who your leads are. What you need is engagement with those people. And, you know, I live in the world, I've lived in the world of B2B uh, for 30 years. I started my career 29 years ago as a sales rep. Uh, 19 years ago, I started my sales training company. And my first client said, Hey, Daryl, training was great. Nothing you said is on our website. Do you build websites? Being the first client and being an entrepreneur, you know what the answer was, right? Yes, Casey, of yes sir. <laughs> so I've been in this, this world. And, and by the way, I did build a website for a nonprofit and for a church before I built a website for this client. However, in Microsoft front page, we yeah, really front page. I remember those days. But it started this journey of, of, of digital marketing and uh, obviously web search, social inbound and, and all of that. And and what I began to realize in standing in between the worlds of sales and marketing um, and all, all my marketing friends, you know what I'm talking about. If you've got a sales team behind you, the sales team will, goes, we want more leads. You send the sales team leads. And what do the salespeople say back? These leads are garbage. Right? They stink. <laughs> they stink. Oh my God. So I'd say, just stop the madness. Stop the madness. I don't need leads. I need engagement with my ideal prospects. So my encouragement to you and to, is to get with your sales team, clarify who is your ideal client and your, therefore your ideal prospect. Clarify that in the book, Revenue Growth Engine at the very beginning, that's one of the very first things we address. Clarify that, figure out who your ideal prospects are. You can look them up, you can figure it out. It should be a list. And then from a marketing standpoint, I, as wonderful as Inbound is, and I had a great time at the Inbound conference uh, just not yeah, long ago. I was there. Yeah. What? What? The, what? You, me, and 25,000 other I didn't people. No, I didn't, so, I didn't bump right? into you. What are you talking about? So, <laughs> you know, as much as, as much as I love Inbound, if you're in B2B, we need a outbound. We need account-based marketing. We need to be looking at, I know if I've got this many, let's say it's a thousand prospects that are ideal prospects, I want to aim for 100% engagement 
with the key decision makers and influencers in those prospects. Are you going to get there? No, of course not. But what we're the, the inbound marketing says, I'm going to throw stuff out there, put out all these lures and hope that a small percentage, you know, nibble on what I've got and we'll, you know, real make sacrifices fishing. to inbound gods and hope. And yeah, play I absolutely algorithm. do all yeah. of the things. It, that, nothing wrong with that. But if you're in B2B and you know who your ideal prospects are, I'd set the bar at what percent of those prospects are we able to engage with and have some level of engagement? Because the reality is you're working in partnership with a sales team that should also be doing outbound selling. And together we're working to engage with those ideal prospects, the decision makers and influencers, AKA personas in those accounts. And to be able to say at the end of the quarter, at the end of the year, we as a marketing team were able to engage at some level and you could define different levels of engagement based on response, but we were able to engage at some level with X percent of our ideal prospects. That's when we're going to start to see motion. And that's the type of engagement that then flows through to the sales team. Um, and that is the myth I want to break in B2B. Oh. It's not about leads. It's about engagement. Boom. Hammer time. Hammer time. Smash that stone structure. You have smashed it. And I feel like a freaking bobblehead because I'm over here just <laughs> nodding my head at you. And I hope I don't look too crazy. But thankfully, when you're talking, it shows your videos. So I'm, I'm, I'm safe. I'm okay. But I got to say, there's probably a few people out there going, well, I've heard this ABM thing before. And it comes down to who are my ideal customers and, and clarify sales doesn't know sales said they'll talk to everyone. They'll take anyone. I give them the worst candidate. Oh yeah. I'll talk to him. I'll talk to him. Terrible lead, but I'll still talk to him. How do you clarify who you should go after? How do you boil? You want to boil the ocean. How do you find those lobsters, put them in your pot? You figure out who the lobsters currently are. So there was this Ital Italian economist back in hundreds of years ago his name was Vilfredo Pareto. We know him today as the guy that invented the 80-20 rule. And he figured out all those uh, decades ago that 80% yeah. of the property in his little town was owned by 20% of the, the uh, property owners. And he began to see this pattern all over the place. And I want to let you know, as I've worked with companies across multiple industries, of various sizes, various geographies, doing revenue growth workshops, I want to let you know the 80-20 rule is alive and it is doing well in every business. <laughs> and I, I want that all of my marketing friends listening in to make a note to call up your CFO, your finance director, and give you a list of all your customers and the revenue from those customers over the last year, five years, whatever period, doesn't matter. And I want him that to be sorted from the most revenue to the least revenue. And I want you to pick the top 20% of your customers. So if you have a thousand customers, pick 200 mm -hmm. and uh, highlight that column of the spreadsheet all the way down and add it up and see what percent of your revenue is coming from your top 20% of your customers. You can do this if you're a solopreneur. You can do this if you work in the marketing department of a Fortune 500 company. I guarantee you the results are going to be similar and they're going to be surprising. The most companies we work with, the 80-20 rule is alive and doing well. In some of them, it's not 80-20, it's 90-10. Mm. And some, what I was working with recently, you know, was less than that. It was 5%, 95. That's scary. I think that's, a little, that's a little scary. A little too much. However, yeah. but when you look at that 80-20 rule right there, and you begin to say, okay, well, who are the eight, what, who are the 20% that are driving 80% of the revenue? Yeah. You start to get an idea of, of who your ideal client is. And in Revenue Growth Engine, we, we look and we ask questions on two, two different categories of what is an ideal client. Number one, value. And number two, values. Value. Do they need everything that you offer? When I started my sales career, uh, Casey, I'm totally going to date myself. I sold office technology and I got this job and we sold copy machines, yes. fax machines. Do you remember the old days when you were in sales and you'd hear the 
phone, the fax ring and you yeah. knew an order was coming I across. I did a fax blast for a client one time. Oh, absolutely. So <laughs> copy machines, fax machines, and this get get this one, dictation equipment. Ooh. So, I mean, this is this is three decades ago. And uh, you don't we also look like you're some... that old. Well, thanks. It's uh, marketing keeps you young, right? Just like a Zoom on, filter. Man. Can I get this? Is that something available? <laughs> So, so here's, so we would, I'd come back to the office. I'm a sales guy, right? I'm in my early twenties and um, I have come back in the office with a sales order and be like, I just landed this deal. And every so often, yeah, right. You ring Ring the the bell, write it on the board, you know, start making plans, buy a new bathing suit for the president's club trip you're going on and all of that. And, um, and I would every so often be so cocky and bold not that a salesperson would ever do that no but to say i own this account to which my sales manager would go oh really now congratulations on selling them one of our product lines you might have sold them copy machines but do they have fax machines from us no do they have dictation equipment from us no do they have software from us no okay Hotshot, you own 25% of this account. What we're aiming for is 100% sold. My Mm. good friend, Mark Hunter, is uh, also known as the sales hunter. What a great name. Mark says you don't close a deal, you open a relationship. And so, uh, by the way, the marketing doesn't stop when you generate a lead. The marketing just begins. I've been uh, just going back through the old classic. Let's find it right down here. Look at this. This is what I've been going through. I've been going through Jay Conrad Levinson's Guerrilla Marketing. This is a great book. It's been years since I've read it, but right here in the introduction, he says it, page four, more than half your marketing time should be devoted to your existing customers. Beautiful. We'll probably unpack that some more, but value, can they buy everything that you sell? Do they Mm -hmm. have value? And in the book, I encourage you to go and look at this ideal client that you identify. What if, well, in marketing, we like to talk about lifetime value of a customer. To me, that's a little fuzzy. So I want to mm-hmm. know what's the 10-year value? Like if they Ooh, bought tenure. everything they could buy over the next 10 years, what would that be? That's so lo- much more practical than lifetime. I love that. Yeah. Easy. Well, and then, then I can 10. just move the decimal place over move one the decimal, and know what yeah. they're worth a year, right? And then I can look at my growth goals and go, how many of these all in do I need to hit my growth goals? Super, super helpful. Mm. But once you value and values, the second thing is, do they align with your, your company culture, your company values? And the reason this is important is if we're going to keep them around for 10 years, and if they're going to buy multiple things from us, we need to have some alignment. And when you look at that top 20% of your customer list and then start to reflect on the bottom 20%, start to go, where are the unhappy customers? And where are the squeaky wheels? Where are the customers that you know drive us crazy? Truthfully, most of them I'm betting are in that bottom 80% because they don't align perfectly with, with who you are. So out of that, then we start to go, okay, these top 20%, let's pick a couple of the ones that are our favorite. What do we like about them? Who yeah. do we work with? And what do they like about us? And as marketers go out and talk to them, interview them, do a case study, you know, if you need yeah. an excuse to do something and really figure out what makes those people tick and what, what, you know, what outcomes they're looking for and all of that, that's going to allow you to put together an ideal client profile. And if you want some help with that, there's the book, you can text the word revenue to 21,000 that's revenue to 21,000 and inside our free toolkit, there's a a template you can use to put together your ideal client profile, uh, where we'll we'll help you, you know, think about your description, your data points, and your decision makers in there. But but you know, the reality is this is something that's that you need to get in the room. This is the first point of alignment with your sales team. Is get in the room with your sales leaders or your sales team and and figure this out. Because once you know that, then you can figure out who your ideal prospects are. Mm. You've got a quantifiable list. And now the question becomes, how do we get engagement Engaged. with these ideal prospects? Because when you start bringing in more, you know, when you send over a stack of leads, that's great. You start helping your sales team and your company win ideal clients, you're going to be a hero. And, uh, and that's, where, that's where things get really, really fun. I got to imagine 
man, the sales cycle is shorter. Um, the average deal sizes are larger. Um, it's more fun to sell to. All the things are positive when you're zeroing in on someone who, you know, like your other, like your current customers, they need yeah. this. You've helped them before. You you can confidently help these people too. Man, who doesn't want to sell that deal versus like trying to bribe someone to get on the phone with you and they don't want to, they don't pay attention. Yeah. And man, it sounds like like just a little bit of focus can just pay off so much. It's really amazing when, when you look at it. And, and so many times as you know, the sales side of the house, we're always trying to bang square pegs in a round hole and <laughs> trying to, you know, make things fit to close a deal. But when we really focus in on our ideal client, these are the types of companies that appreciate what we do. Um, typically we'll, you know, when I ask people, what do you like about this, this customer will go through this exercise in a growth strategy workshop and they'll say, well, they, um, they trust us. They actually, you know, take our advice and do it. And by the way, I like to call them ideal clients and not ideal customers. And there's a reason for that. Even though you go, Daryl, we don't, we're not an accounting firm or we're not a law firm. We don't have clients. Oh, here's what I want to say. Customers go to Walmart to buy toothpaste and deodorant or whatever. Mm. Clients mm -hmm. go to trusted advisors to solve problems, achieve outcomes, et cetera. And so interestingly, what I think happens a lot of times is that first sale, when you get that first sale with someone, they're a customer, you know, they bought a product from you. Uh, but as Joey Coleman says, and never lose a customer again, they're, you know, first hundred days, the jury is out as to whether or not they're ever going to do business with you again. But I think over time, you have the right, the opportunity to earn the right to um, be seen as a partner and not just a vendor. And when that starts to happen, and when you're setting things up from the beginning to where you're becoming a source of advice, not just a source of products or services, when you're um, aiming at transformation, not just a transaction, then it, then and only then do you be actually start to actually develop clients. And clients are what we really ultimately want. It really doesn't matter what you sell. Uh, what we want are clients, people that look to us as a trusted advisor, as a partner, as an invaluable part of their business. Yeah. And so when we're marketing, I think it's really important to to begin with the end in mind to go, okay, are we marketing for transaction or are we marketing for transformation? Are we trying to sell to customers or are we trying to um, onboard new clients? Right. Big mindset difference there. And it's funny how changing words can change your mindset, right? Mm -hmm. Calling them customers. I think sometimes we default, even if we don't call them customers, we treat them like a one-time transaction. Like, okay, you bought this deal yeah. from us. Now I can't wait for you to be done working with us so I can move on. It's like, no, we, <laughs> we want, this is our chance to keep them forever. I'm just laughing because I'm remembering the good old days of, of my initial sales training, listening cassette tapes by legends like Zig Ziglar and Tom Hopkins. Oh, and, yeah. Um, you know, Tom would say, and by the way, I've had the opportunity to talk to Tom a couple of times on our sales wow. podcast, Selling from the Heart, which has just been, it was so fun. So cool. Um, but, you know, he, he would say that words matter, you know, so instead of saying in sales uh, in particular, we, we used to say, well, I just need you to sign the contract. Well, nobody wants to sign a contract. How about approve then, you know, approve the opportunity or you know, something like it was like we learned all of the words not to say and words do matter. And I think, you know, when we look at at our our the people we serve, are we serving customers or are we we serving clients? Even if you sell toothpaste, you know, yeah. that ideal client toothpaste may just be the path in the door. There's, you know, and, and this this is the next question we've got to ask is what are the outcomes that ideal client is looking for. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I love uh, when you look back to, to good old uh, Theodore Levitt, the father of modern marketing, wrote the bestseller Marketing Myopia, loved the book. You know, he used to go into his Harvard Business School class on day one in marketing, and he'd hold up the proverbial drill bit, right? And he would say, nobody in the history of Home Depot, Lowe's, Ace Hardware, insert hardware store here, Everyone went to the store to buy the drill bit. They went to buy, of course, we all know 
the whole. And of course, Seth Godin, the marketing guru of gurus would go, guys, they didn't go to buy the whole. They went to buy the ability to hang the plaque on the wall so they would look good to their significant other or their friends. And then I, I always dream that Donald Miller would have chimed in afterwards and go, guys, come on, man. They didn't go to hang the plaque on the wall. We all descended from cavemen. And we know that if we're not in a tribe, we're going to get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. So the, here's the, the moral of the story is this. They didn't go to, to the store to buy the drill bit. doesn't matter whether they needed a hole, whether they wanted to look good to their friends, or whether they wanted to avoid being eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. The point of this is buyers don't buy your products and services that buy the outcomes your products and services deliver. So even if you're selling toothpaste, they're not buying toothpaste, right? They're, they're buying the ability to uh, look great on the, the podcast when they smile and their gleaming teeth go through. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Or uh, there, I mean, there's all kinds of outcomes someone's looking for when they're buying a tube of toothpaste. The point of the matter is they're not buying toothpaste. Um, they're buying the ability to look good to their friends. They're buying um, the avoidance of the risk of a cavity and all the pain associated with that. They're buying um, the ability to uh, advance their career because they don't have bad breath. You know, you go down all of the, the things. And I think this is what we've got to remember is if buyers don't buy products and services, they buy the outcomes those products and services deliver. What's beautiful about knowing your ideal client is then you can look at the personas in that ideal client. Who are the decision makers and influencers? And my B2B friends, we know there's more than one. The average B2B buying team, according to Challenger Customer Research, uh, Matt Dixon, Brent Adamson, both friends, 5.4 decision makers on average in, in a B2B transaction in their research right after, you know, it was like 2010. I was actually on a live stream a couple of years back and I said, you know, it's not 5.4 anymore. That number has grown. I don't know exactly what it is right now. It was miracle of modern technology live stream. Brent Adamson chimed in on the bottom and said in some markets, it's over 11. So in your <laughs> ideal client, now, lest we panic, what's beautiful about this is every ideal prospect has multiple entry points for marketing. And so let's say, you know, let's say it's 5.4, we'll round it up to six decision makers and influencers, yeah. six personas. Now we got to look and go, okay, what are those personas looking for? What are they looking for? And what are the outcomes they're looking for? And so if you're selling B2B, you're selling to, uh, you know, maybe people in the C-suite and finance or HR or IT. Maybe you're selling to mid-market people. I want to um, share a concept that I learned from my friend and our coach, Don Barden. Don is the author of one of my favorite books from this past few years. It's genius. It's called The Perfect Plan. And when you read this book, uh, you're going to find out that Don has actually devised the perfect plan. And the way he did it, he's a behavioral economist. Uh, which sounds dreadfully boring, but the reality is yeah. it's extremely practical. The funny thing is Don's one of the coolest people I know, but um, what he discovered, he studied this from a behavioral economist standpoint, and he discovered that there is a hierarchy of value and there, there are only three types of decision makers, also known as three types of personas. And mm. in his book, you'll see this. This is so powerful. What I'm about to share is one of the most powerful things I've discovered a lot over the last couple of years. There's three types of All right, decision and, uh, makers. We're going to commercial break. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Well, that was fun talking well, about. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Oh, did Zoom just break up? Wow. I, go by, I go by Don's book, The those Perfect Plan. Three... You'll learn about it. Yeah, those so are amazing. Picture a pyramid. At the top of the pyramid is the C-suite. What does the C-suite want? We know they want return on investment. What am I going to get? What's it going to cost? By the way, the investment isn't all money. Right. Uh, the budget's just part of it. It's the time. It's the organizational time. focus, et cetera. On the bottom of the pyramid are the average users, right? The rank and file, um, all of that. And Walmart has nailed this part of the pyramid by their tagline, always low price, always. <laughs> right? So they're, you know, that's a very price sensitive market. But the one in the middle is the one that has confounded most salespeople. And I would dare say most marketers. And that's the middle manager. 
the middle manager. What does the middle manager want? Well, in Don's research in the perfect plan, he discovers that the middle manager wants is cares about perception. How is this decision going to make me look? Now, as a salesperson selling into small, medium-sized companies and some enterprise, I'd always get so frustrated because you go to middle managers and you'd make an ROI case to them. Right. Like, why aren't they so excited about this? It's right. a great ROI. Well, the C-suite might respond to that. The middle manager right. goes, is this going to make me look good or is it going to make me look bad? Is this going to advance my career? Or is this going to maybe put my career at risk? Mm. Is this going to make me look good to my superiors? Is this going to make me look good to the people that are reporting to me? Or is this going to make me look bad? Mm. Now, when you start to realize that, uh, it really shifts your mindset when it comes to marketing to these people. I got to say, I've been watching for this and I've been experimenting with this and trying it. And we had a uh, a client recently um, that that came back, a middle manager in our sales training company at Selling from the Heart, that said, um, it was just so great. They said, man, you guys made me look so good. Mm. And you start to realize, oh my goodness, that's what they're buying. There's an IBM commercial running right now. And uh, I, need to, I need to find the YouTube on it. But um, all I remember from the commercial is there's a bunch of trains running in and out in this commercial, and it's about cybersecurity and, and all this stuff. And the very last phrase of the value proposition at the end, oh, there's a picture. There's a picture of a briefcase going up the stairs, right? So the whole commercial is around if you're running a public transportation system, and you get hacked, everyone's going to be mad. But if you do a good job, you're going to get a promotion. Promotion. So what are the marketers at IBM marketing? Are they marketing ROI and cybersecurity? Perception. Or are they marketing perception? It yeah. was genius. You'll see it. You'll watch for it now. You'll see that briefcase going up the ladder at the end and the little tagline. And you start to realize they read the perfect plan, right? They know right. that the middle manager is the one. And this confounds so many marketers because we want to go feature, 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 feature ROI. Do, right? talk Nobody to cares. What they care is, are you going to make me look good? And I don't think it's any coincidence that the old tagline that nobody ever got fired for buying right. IBM. Yeah. They know how to market. Same. Perception. They know how to market. And, and so when you're marketing to middle managers, you, know, you want to understand that the outcomes that they want, yes, they're business outcomes, but they're almost always tied to something personal. Mm. So I'm going to help you save money so that you can look good. I'm going to help you avoid, this will help you avoid getting hacked if you're selling cyber, right? right. Security, so that you don't put your career in jeopardy. I'm going to help you um, improve productivity and the people on your team are going to love you, right? And that's, and if you realize when you're selling to middle managers and marketing to middle managers, what they're actually buying is not your product. They're buying perception. They're buying headlines. If you think about what they want is they want a headline on their, their resume right. that says implemented solution to blah, 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 helped launch new dot, dot, dot. And when you understand that mentality, it shifts how you market. So you understand your ideal client, you understand your personas. Are they C-suite decision makers? Are they middle managers? And then you can start to determine the outcomes that they want. And everything needs to lead with outcomes. In the book, I advise that every company has a product inventory, right? You got a price sheet with all your products and all that stuff. In the book, in Revenue Growth Engine, um, I advise that you actually create an outcomes inventory. So not what are all the products you can deliver? What are all the outcomes that you can enable? And then start to categorize those by decision maker. And this is, and then think, so, okay, well, what, what content do I have that verifies those outcomes? Blog articles, white papers, case studies, third-party articles. I mean, all this mm. stuff, right? And, and now everything needs to lead with an outcome. And that's where every headline, every web page, every blog article, every email subject, 
every uh, banner ad, everything that you put out there, social posts needs to lead with an outcome and be focused on a persona. And when you do that, I mean, the effectiveness, because here's the deal. I mean, I think we all know this as marketers, what I've heard between 3,500 and 5,000 messages are, are thrown at us a day, right? And the reality is I like liken it to uh, an air filter on the car. The only thing that gets through there is air. And the only thing that I let get through my filter, because I want to survive as a human. If I have to respond to 5,000 messages yeah. a day, I will go completely insane. Uh, I, my mind will melt, right? So yeah. we have filters, we survive. The only thing that gets through the filter are the outcomes we want to achieve. So, you know, we can have the prettiest, nicest, most beautiful stuff launched in the right cadence on the right platform with the right blah, 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 right blah, time blah. of day. Yeah. But all, that, all yeah. of that is pointless unless we have identified the outcome that they want. Here's another angle on this. And this is something I'm really passionate about and talk about, um, you know, this is a marketing mistake that a lot of people can make. And the mistake is if you're, if you're selling outcomes, the outcomes that your buyers want today, it's a good chance they're going to be different in six months. Jeez. I just got a handle on it. And now they're changing. Well, and this is why we're so relevant, right? This is why they need us. Casey. <laughs> Keep because listening to this podcast. Yes. I spent a lot of time in the tech world. And so um, so Gartner, tech research firm, yep. um, before the pandemic, this is a great illustration. Before the pandemic, every the outcomes were all around scalability, rapid growth. How can we you know, maximize your growth? Right. And so you might've had messages like, in unprecedented economic times like this, you need to maximize your growth as quickly as possible, blah, 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 right? Great. Awesome. An outcome. Then COVID. Now, these companies in the tech world selling the exact same products and services, right? Or software or SaaS or whatever. But the outcome shifted from scalability to redundancy, resiliency, remote work, Right. And then now, you know, things shift and now we're in a supply chain crisis and we've got inflation issues and international instability, still selling the same product and services, but be careful what your clients and prospects are buying, especially your ideal ones, because you're tuned into them. You talk to them all the time now, Totally, your ideal clients outcomes are shifting. And so if you understand that, you have an incredible opportunity to outflank your competition because most people are asleep at the wheel. They think they sell computers or software as a service. No, you don't. You sell those things enable outcomes. People are buying the outcomes. You shift your message when the market shifts and you've got an opportunity. And plus, yeah. if you don't shift your message, you're going to look like an idiot. Imagine the autoresponders that were still turned on in the summer of 2020. In this time of incredible oh economic goodness. prosperity and abundance, you you know you like oh well you're you know we what was the uh, you're you're like out of touch man you, yeah you know but that's what you can be in touch and the way you get in touch is actually really simple you talk to your ideal clients and um, one of the things we're guilty of as marketers is we like to sit behind screens. And we like to stay in the building, but I, I want to challenge everyone listening in that at least once a month, you need to get out face-to-face -face if possible, zoom to zoom if necessary, and talk with your current clients. Yeah. You know, if you want to do it under the guise of a case study or success story, that's great. Cause then you'll have a nice product at the end. But what I want you to be talking about is not just what do you like about our company and tell us why we're awesome is you can, you can ask that if you want. But what, what I really want to know is, Hey, I'm curious, Casey, what challenges, you know, now that we're the market shifted, there's a supply chain crisis and all of that. How's this impacting your business? What challenges are you facing? And they will give you the specific wording that you need to be able to talk to your other ideal prospects. And you know, in B2B marketing in particular, but this is also true of my B2C friends, we use a lot of adjectives. Mm. 
We're going to help you improve productivity, enhance sustainability, and maximize your employee return. You know, it's it, right. It is static noise to your buyers. Terrible. But I call it marketing mush, right? We're all guilty of it. We've all done it. And you it's know, like grits without maple syrup. What are we talking about? You I know. know. It's, it's like anything are. without maple syrup. I can tell you've read the book because Revenue Growth Engine talks about maple syrup a lot. Totally uh, revealing my Canadian heritage. So yes. best food on earth. Long live. And we talk about maple syrup with your message because you start maple syrup starts with 40 gallons of sap and boils down to one gallon of pure, beautiful, beautiful. Check this out. You know, pure Canadian mm. maple syrup. That's it. This is a client that loves me <laughs> right here that sends right? me maple syrup sitting right here on my desk. But you boil that down. What's the maple syrup in your message? It's the actual words that your current clients say about their current situation. So whatever your, whomever your ideal clients are, you need to go talk to them. Um, once again, do a case study, get out face-to-face, -face, take them to lunch, do something, ride along with your salespeople and get those questions in about like, what challenges are you facing right now right. in the context, you know, of blah, blah, blah. However, the current economic situation is impacting your, your business. And, and we got to take our heads out of the sand. Another one of my favorite people and authors is Meredith Elliott Powell. And mm. Meredith wrote a book called Thrive, How to Turn Uncertainty into Competitive Advantage. Now, this is a business strategy book, but I also think it's a genius book for marketing uh, yeah. my marketing friends to look at because it will give you a context to be able to ask some really good questions. And in that book, you'll find an acronym on skeptic and each of those letters stands for a different category of questions you can ask about society, competition, the economy. Forgive me, Meredith. I have to look at my notes on the rest of those. Go buy the book. It's right. Meredith Elliott like Powell. Um, but you you go down and you start to look and go, okay, what's really going on? Because I got to understand this. See, all your competitors are marketing their products and how great their company is. And we've been in mm -hmm. business for 5,000 years. We're in some magic quadrant, blah, 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 blah. What you need to do is be the one that really gets it. And when your ideal client reads, sees, watches, experiences what you do, they go, they get me. Thank and when you. you do that, when you win that deal, it's, it's game over. Yeah. It's game on, yeah. right? Because right. now once they become a client, you don't stop that messaging. You keep that conversation going. And of course, right. when you read revenue growth engine, you're going to also encourage your sales team to keep it going with your clients doing things like quarterly business reviews where we're always asking the question, what challenges are you facing in your business? What are your goals? What are your strategic initiatives? And taking those and then connecting those, making the bridge. We're bridge builders as marketers. 100%. Clients outcomes, what we do, make the bridge. But we're always trying to make the bridge from our product over to, it's like the bridge to nowhere <laughs> a lot mm -hmm. of times, right? We're yeah. like our product and we start all these marketing, these acronyms, and it's a bridge to nowhere. The other side of the bridge is the current issues, challenges, outcomes, desires, strategic initiatives that your clients have. They'll tell you, use that and work backwards to your product. And your right. message is going to be so much better. Man. Daryl, I've literally run out of paper already. Who <laughs> you need to get an you? iPad. You got to get I, an iPad. I have an iPad. It's like an endless sheet of paper. You never, you can keep taking notes forever, Casey. I know, but I know, but, you know, it forces you, <laughs> it forces you into, a, into writing in margins. And who are you? Who, who is Daryl? Who is this guy? Take me back in time. Little you. Did you know you're going to be creating revenue growth engines left and right? <laughs> maybe, maybe. So, um, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I grew up in the country. I'm a, I grew up between a dairy farm and a pig farm on a dirt road in Southwestern Ontario, right across from Rochester, New York. Um, from so you're where Canadian. You I am Canadian. I married a Southern girl. Explains and, why you're uh, so nice, you know? Yeah. Well, I got the, all the night that I apologize all the time. I'm very <laughs> sorry. Um, is there a and, lot of process in your book? 
Yeah, you know, it's great. And and if you want, I can do the rest of the podcast in Canadian. I don't have that. Yeah, I can talk like that if I need to. But you I know, knew- I just need to record you saying hardcore marketing show in Canadian. So that we can <laughs> dub that for our listeners. I don't I don't I don't get up. I don't uh, get home to Canada enough. The funny thing was, so I'll I'll go to my backstory in a second, but yeah, yeah. I got a job straight out of college selling chamber of commerce memberships for greater Little Rock Chamber of Commerce. Now, with this baby face, uh, you Arkansas? can only imagine. Yes. Ooh, so I told you I married a Southern girl, like deep South, right? And uh, so I've got a Canadian accent. I get this baby face. I look, you know, I was 21 years old, look like I'm about 14, 15. And uh, I'm all suited up, tied, and everything. I bounce in. People look at me like two things. Why are you not in school? And uh, the other one was... <laughs> you ain't from around here, son. <laughs> and uh, so I learned real quickly, Casey, I was going to need to slow down, which has <laughs> been good for me. But um, yeah, so I, I grew up and my dad was a carpenter. So I, I like building things. I still, when I'm not uh, helping companies grow revenue, I'm in my shop building something. So uh, I love doing that. And so I remember one summer, my parents were having some milestone anniversary. So I built them this like outdoor little thing it was two chairs with a table in between. It was all, and you know, I just was like, oh, I, I need to do something nice for my parents and I don't have any money. So uh, I, I'm building this thing and a car pulls into the driveway and uh, the guy goes, is that for sale? I was like, Yes, sir. It's for sale. How much is it? <laughs> and so next thing you know, he's handing me a lot of, lot of cash. And I'm loading this, you know, thing that used to be a pile of two by fours into the back of his truck. And I don't know, it was hundred bucks or whatever. As a 15 year old kid, I was like, I like the way this feels. This is yeah. good. Cause then I took the hundred dollars, bought materials, built four more, gave one to my parents and sold the other three. So I think that's when I got hooked yeah. on all of this, but I, I've always been passionate about uh, helping businesses grow. I'm, I am a serial entrepreneur. I'm, I'm guilty of like probably many people of starting way too many businesses. Yeah. Let's say you got to find what sticks, right? You got to throw stuff at the wall. I love, I love doing new things. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I learned about four or five years ago when I picked up a, a, another book that's been extremely valuable in my life called Traction. Oh yeah. And um, I learned that, that there's visionaries and there's integrators and um, I learned that I have a visionary personality. So it was one of those things when I, when that light bulb came on, um, I then realized, okay, I need to put, you know, integrators in my life in all of the different organizations that I work with yeah. for profit and nonprofit. And, um, and then, then I can, you know, I can fly my freak flag and do strategy <laughs> totally. and talk on podcasts and write books and, uh, and help help companies grow, and then um, there'll be good people behind the scenes to actually make sure the processes or processes for my Canadian friends <laughs> do get scheduled. So and implemented. Right. So uh, this is you know. So I, that's been my journey. I've loved sales. I've loved the challenge that translated into being an entrepreneur, which is just sales on steroids. Right? Is the yeah, it's the challenge? And um, you know, just a couple years back. Um, I just kind of reached a point where uh, I was actually speaking at a conference. I'd been wearing the marketing hat and the sales hat for two decades, kind of oh. like skis, right? If they're pointed in the same direction, you're going to be great. If you're going on downhill skiing and your skis aren't pointed in the same direction, you're going to be visiting an orthopedic surgeon. So, um, yeah. you know, so I, I was speaking at this conference. It was on it, it was on growth. And um, it was just a small gathering of, of, I don't know, a couple dozen tech companies. And there was um, marketing people in the room and sales leaders in the room. And Casey was one of and the owners were all across the back. And you could tell the marketing people are at the front of the room. They're excited to be there because we are, right? Hey, hey yeah. let's learn something new. Let's do it. You know, the sales leaders, they're all like, oh my goodness, we could be out in the field actually selling something. Why do we have to be at this stupid conference? Right. And uh, you could see the owners. There were several of the business owners in the back of the room drinking coffee. And it's almost like the thought bubbles over their head were, can't y'all figure this out and just get along, you know? Yeah. And so, and, and it's a B2B conference and, um, and I'm there and I had um, been engaged in rolling out inbound marketing strategies for several companies in the room. Like we talked about earlier, right? Let's 
get online. Let's write the articles. Let's do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and was all in on that. And most of these businesses were in localized markets and, you know, had a very, very narrow ideal client. Mm. And so they invested tens of thousands of dollars in inbound marketing and most got very, very dismal results. And even the case studies from the ones that succeeded were, <laughs> they were, they were not great. Let's right. just, let's just be honest about that. And, um, when you looked at, you know, the amount of money invested to the revenue, it was decent. But when you looked at the amount of money invested to the profit emperor had no clothes. Nothing. So I was like, what am I going to say to this group of people? <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, and so that was my wake up call, uh, a few dark nights of the soul. Um, I said, well, what if I started the clean sheet of paper, um, or in my case, a clean white iPad started scribbling, hey. right. Or white, right. I've got a whiteboard right behind me too. So anything to draw. And I started drawing out, what would I put in place to create a growth engine from scratch. And out of that came the revenue growth engine. And it was kind of the sum total of a couple decades of frustration in watching sales and marketing. Um, It's like an engine, you know, my, uh, my sweet wife called me a couple of weeks ago and, and her, she was in her, her SUV and uh, I was actually driving it, but it was longer story. So anyhow, the engine (laughs) was not firing in all cylinders. So let's just put it that way. And um, so I took it in the shop and they found out that some of the cylinders were had trouble with the spark plugs and the okay. coils. They replaced them. I mean, here's the great part. This was a good moment for me. Um, I was coming back from a business trip and my sweet wife was coming to pick me up at the airport and her car stock started not firing on all cylinders again. I'm like, oh no, what's going on? So she pulls over. Um, I at a auto zone or you know, one of the, the car things, they plug it into their thing and they say mm. cylinder eight is misfiring. What do you do? An engine running, not running on all cylinders is not a good thing. Cylinder the cool eight. end of the story, by the way, Casey is with my iPhone flashlight. I climbed up into the engine compartment of this SUV and found this little wire dangling at the back, plugged it into the, the spark plug. Boom. We're back on the road running engine firing in all cylinders. Everybody's happy. We made it home. I grow companies and fix spark plugs. I don't know about that, but it was, it was one of those moments where you go, is your engine, you, every company has a growth engine. You wouldn't be in business if you weren't, but is it firing on all cylinders? And maybe another way to look at it is how many cylinders are in your growth engine? Truthfully, I got the idea for the book while I was mowing my lawn. (laughs) <laughs> and you go, Daryl, why do you mow your lawn? Doesn't every success guru on the planet say you should pay someone to mow your lawn so you can do more successful things? And uh, to which I say, well, look, I like this 30 minutes. I have a zero turn mower. I put my headset in. I listen to great podcasts, like hardcore yeah. marketing podcast. No one could call me. And when I'm done, all the things are nice straight row. And I feel like I accomplished something. So, um, you know, sometimes these strategies we put together as marketers take a little time. You don't see the results for a while. I can mow my lawn. I feel good. So anyhow, I'm mowing my lawn one day, puttering across my lawn in my zero turn mower. And I see my car on the drive at the end of the driveway. And I had a realization that Casey, if I wanted to come visit you, I could drive my lawnmower to come visit you. It's true. Um, I could drive my lawnmower. It would take take a while to get there. And I would probably be mocked mercilessly on the way. I might die on the freeway driving my lawnmower. Um, Or I could drive my car. I get there 10 times faster. It's got air conditioning. It's got a great stereo system. And then I also started thinking my lawnmower has four cylinders. That's actually two. Let's get it right. I don't know. It's two or four. It's not that many. Two cylinders. I looked it up. 28.5 horsepower. My car, uh, six cylinders, like 390 horsepower. Both engines, different results. Yeah. How many cylinders are in your engine, in your growth engine, your company? And when you read Revenue Growth Engine, my hope is that you'll start to identify we're missing that one. We're missing that one. And we're missing that one. Okay. Let's go to work. Let's put those processes in place. Let's add more cylinders to our engine. 
then we'll be able to accelerate. And, you know, right now, as we're, you know, looking into 2023, we're having this conversation in Q4 of 22. Yeah. You know, there's some pretty uncertain headwaters ahead. And I would say to you, this is a time to make sure your engine is firing on all cylinders and you've got everything lined out because, you know, when you head into a fear-based economy that we're already in right now and the potential for a recession, mm -hmm. you got to really be thinking about who's my ideal client, what are the outcomes they want now, and what are we going to do to consistently uh, market to them before and after the initial sale? Got to build that engine. Got to make sure you got the oil, you got the gas. Where can people connect with you to get the book? Where, where do you want them to connect with you to sign up for a workshop? Where are the places? Oh, man. Thank you for asking. If you text the word revenue, that's revenue to 21,000. Because it's all about revenue. 21,000. Yes. Revenue to 21,000. What app Marketing is Marketing is about revenue. Um, it is... Uh, 1-800-TXT. It's a text autoresponder. It'll direct okay. you to our free toolkit. Free um, toolkit. What's cool, if you go, it'll also, it's going to direct you to revenuegrowthengine.com. You can go okay. straight there if you want to type it in. Um, <laughs> and uh, at revenuegrowthengine.com, which is actually, if you're watching on video, you see the home screen behind me. Yeah, I see it. Um, you can actually get a free copy of the book if you'll chip in for shipping and handling. I'd be honored to send an autographed copy of the book to anybody that's listening in. And it's my, my heart is to help generous companies uh, grow revenue. So um, if I can get this in your hands, you know, this is an important time right now. We've got to, as marketers, be strategic Yeah. because when we head into tough waters, you know, we're going to have to get things. We got to really, we got, we got to, we got to figure this out and we've got to be very agile right now. And, and I don't want to get too serious, but like people are depending on us to do this, yeah. right? When, true. when you sell stuff, good things happen. When you don't sell stuff, it's a challenge for, you know, other people in your company. So we want to make sure that we are on our A game right now a as game. marketers going into this season. Well, hell yeah. And thank you for the offer of the book. I'm sure a lot of people will be clicking through and, I'm sure a lot of people will be texting because it sounds like a novel idea to follow up from a podcast. <laughs> there you go. Uh, dude, thank you so much for being on here and teaching us and sharing all this knowledge. I can tell you're passionate about it. I can tell you're here to help. And I really appreciate you being here. Awesome. My pleasure. Thank you, everybody. Casey, you got a great thing going here. Keep it up, man. I appreciate it. And for those listening, if you learned something, and I freaking know you did because on my non-iPad paper, I ran out of space. Here it is. Look, look. Yep. Anywhere you. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. You made my day. No space, right? So yeah. <laughs> uh, what am I gonna do? I I have like ninety to dos now. Uh, okay, I gotta go build the engine. So sorry, not sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. But if you learned something like I did, share this episode with one person, nine people, three thousand people, whatever the number. That's thought leadership. Get good information into other people's hands. With that, Daryl, thank you again, sir. You are a legend. <laughs> you rock. Thank you, Casey. All right, everybody. Crazy cool episode, right? Another crazy episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time.